0: 8 this morning, John chapter number 8. Uh, we are in verse number 51, and we'll be dealing with verses 51 through 59 today as we bring this particular chapter to a close. Of course, chapter number 8, we have covered uh, a lot of ground. Uh, we began with the mercy that was shown to the woman who was uh, taken in adultery. And primarily for the rest of chapter number 8, we have been dealing with the Pharisees' attacks. On Christ uh, Christ has been declaring and defending his authority as being sent from God. Uh, he has declared his uh, divinity, that he is in fact uh, God. And uh, we see the greatest demonstration of his uh, belief and his proclamation that he was God by making one of the I Am statements that we are familiar with the Lord Jesus making on a number of occasions. If you'll go with me to John chapter number 8 and look with me at verse number 58, we'll just read one verse as we begin. The Bible says, Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Look at that expression, before Abraham was, I am. Now before we really get into the full exposition of this text, we need to understand what Jesus is saying here because this sets the scene for everything that he has said up to this point. Look at that phrase, before Abraham was, I am. Now, in our English language, that would not be proper. (laughs) It doesn't make quite the right sense. We would have a hard time understanding what does he mean? Uh, He's speaking in terms that uh, do not seem, they seem to be disjointed thoughts. They don't seem to be connected. But the emphasis here is on the two words, was, was, and am. Uh, those two words uh, signify something completely different. Uh, the word was uh, means that he was brought into being or something was brought forth. Uh, we might say uh, I, something was brought uh, to, to the front of this building. Uh, it means that there, it had a beginning and it had a time when it was brought forth. That's, that's what the word was here means. The other word is the word where Jesus says, I am. Uh, this is a declaration of existence. Uh, it is the Lord saying, I have existed, I have always existed. Uh, the phrase I am is, it does not suggest there was a beginning, that he was brought into that position. He simply is saying that I have always existed. Now, that, cannot be, that statement cannot be said about Abraham. Abraham did not always exist. Abraham had a human beginning just like all of us did. We share that in common with Abraham. Abraham was brought forth. He was brought into existence. Just the same, we are brought into existence as well. So what is Jesus saying here and why does it matter? What Jesus is saying is he is declaring that he is the only one who has existed for all time As a matter of fact, he existed before time began. Now that's hard for our minds to comprehend today, because we operate on time. Everything we do is based upon a time. a when does this start? When does this end? How long is this going to last? We, have, we, we note our time on earth. Why? We celebrate a birthday every year. When you get older, you stop celebrating the birthdays as often, and you try to, try to deny that they're there, but that is a celebration of time. Jesus, although in human flesh, he walked upon the earth, he ministered on the earth for 33 human years. But Jesus was not 33 years old in the sense of who God is. He spent 33 years here, but he existed before those 33 years. Now, remember who he's talking to. The Pharisees simply believe Jesus is nothing more than a prophet. He's nothing more than a man. So to them... He had an existence that was limited just like Abraham and just like they were. So what Jesus is declaring here is much more than saying, I am like Abraham. He is differentiating himself between what Abraham was brought into existence and who Jesus is have always existed. Christ existed before creation. When we think about creation, we're thinking about something had a beginning. Jesus did not have a beginning. We learned that all the way in the very, very first message that we had in this book, of the book of John, in John 1, 1, where the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus declares to these Pharisees that he existed even before creation. Now... We know that the Jews understood what he was saying. We're going to kind of do this in reverse order by looking at the ending before we look at what happened to get us here. We we know he understood, they understood what he was saying, because look at verse number 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. You say, preacher, how do you know that they understood him? Because they picked up stones. Why did they pick up those stones? They picked up the stones not in celebration, the exact opposite. They picked up stones to try to stone him because of his declaration. So here's what we know about the Pharisees. It was not that they didn't understand his words. The problem was they didn't like what he was declaring. They took up the stones to cast at him, and this is not the first time they had done that. We remember back in John chapter number 5, verse number 18, in a situation where the Bible simply tells us, "Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God." So the Pharisees are acting according to their nature. Now we learned last week that Jesus Himself said their nature was from their father, the devil. However, the Pharisees thought that their father was Abraham, and then spiritual or in the uh, the physical seed, Abraham was their father. They believed because Abraham was their father that they knew God. And we understand, of course, as Jesus has been dealing with them, he's telling them that you are not of Abraham because if you were Abra- of Abraham, you would believe me. Remember, there is the spiritual seed of Abraham that Jesus had in mind. So the words here, what the Lord is saying, simply meant this. Christ is declaring to these Pharisees, he was and is God. He was before Abraham. He was the lamb who the Bible declares was slain before the foundation of the world. That's an interesting study, by the way. How could the lamb be slain before the foundation of the world? And yet that's what the Bible says about Jesus. He was slain before the foundation of the world. So as we look at these verses that led us to this statement that Jesus makes in verses 58 and 59, now let's go back and look at verses 51 through 57, and we'll see what led to Jesus making this declaration of before Abraham was I am. Now we pick, up, uh, we pick up where we left off last week where Jesus had begun speaking about eternal life. And in verse number 51, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste death. Let's first of all look at what Jesus is saying in verse number 51, Jesus is offering salvation. He is declaring the very basis of a man's salvation. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Now, this saying that he's talking about, Christ is pointing out to the fearful consequences of rejecting Christ, rejecting him. It is a fearful thing today to reject Christ. And today, some may say to you, well, I have no choice but to reject. You have every choice in the world to, re- to receive and accept and repent and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Savior sent into the world to save sinners. There is nothing hindering you from that today. There is no one who's ever come to Christ who the Lord Jesus has cast out and said, I will not receive you. Christ has never cast anyone out who came seeking him for salvation. But his words are what he's saying, who keeps my words what words is he talking about? He's talking about not just the, uh, this, this, this one isolated word, but all the words of the declaration of who he said he is. Remember, he has, he has talked about who those who love Jesus Christ are. He has talked about the dangers of not believing on him. He's talked about that he's going to go his own way. He's going to go to the cross. And he's telling these Pharisees, I say unto you that if you do not keep these sayings, you will see death. Now, he's not talking about physical death because we all know that we all have an appointed time. We don't know when that is. But that appointment with death is already there. The hope that we have with that appointment is understanding that Jesus Christ has provided the gospel and eternal life as a present possession. Now, we use that phrase around here intentionally. Jesus Christ provided the gospel and eternal life as a present possession. Right now, if I am in Christ, I possess eternal life. It's not something I'm waiting to get. It's not something I'm waiting to receive. I already have eternal life. He says, if a man keeps my sayings, he shall never see death. Why does death come? Death comes because of sin. Why are we getting older? Why are we dying? Why are we getting sick? It is the direct result of sin. That's why you will never meet a person who doesn't age. Have you ever thought about that? We age because of sin. We are dying because of sin. It It is the effect of what sin has done, the fall of Adam that has been passed on to all mankind We're dying because of that. Jesus is not speaking of you will not die physically. He is saying you will not experience eternal death. He that believes my saying shall have eternal life. In John chapter number 11, verses 25 through 26, of course, we're a number of uh, weeks away from getting to that chapter. Jesus, as he's speaking with Martha, says this. He says this unto her, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Verse 26, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? A believer will not experience death as the curse of the law against sin, but on the contrary, they will triumph as one who's been made alive unto God. So even in physical death, we live. For the believer, even in physical death, we live. That is a result of the the gospel that Jesus Christ has provided. That is my present hope today. It is a present possession, eternal life. Jesus offers that to the Pharisees. Verse 52, here's their response. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. Now remember, this is not a random statement. Jesus had told them, you are of your father, the devil, and they fired back by telling Jesus, no, we think you have a devil. Now the Pharisees, in response to Jesus' Invitation, if you will, they say, No, you have a devil. They accuse our Lord of having a devil. This is the ignorance on full display. This shows they have absolutely no desire for spiritual truth. No matter how plain and simple truth is explained, there are always those who have no desire for it. I've said that often. You can sit under sound preaching and teaching for years and years and years and never desire what's being said. That's why it's a dangerous situation when we say, just being in church is going to allow me to have eternal life. No, you have to be able to discern spiritual truth. So what is Christ promising here? Look at verse number 52, continuing. He says, thou hast the devil, Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste of death. The Pharisees go on, art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? Now there's where we get, there's why there's a relation to what Jesus says about Abraham because they say, don't you know our father Abraham died and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Now this is a very telling statement. Here the Pharisees, instead of acting on the divine authority of God, they're literally accusing God, accusing Jesus of saying this, who makest you to be who you say you are? Now, what is Christ promising here? Well, we know that he's provided the gospel. He's providing eternal life as a present possession. But he's also making a promise to believers that when they experience death, there will not be a divine judgment for them. Folks, as a believer in Christ today, to be in Christ means I will not face the divine judgment of God. I will not face divine judgment, and I will not be... Cast away in my sins. Now, notice what Jesus is listening to them say. These Pharisees are repeating exactly what Jesus is talking about, and yet they're ignorant of the spiritual truth. He has just now given them the invitation in verse number 51, where he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. How do they respond to Jesus? They respond by saying, Abraham is dead. They say, Abraham, which is dead, in verse 53. They're acknowledging there is a death, and yet they are blind to the truth of why I need eternal life, why they need Christ. You can acknowledge that death is coming. You can acknowledge even by your own age, by your own health. You can say, I understand that death is coming. I'm feeling older. I'm not feeling well. I'm feeling as if something is happening and still be ignorant of the truth. You can acknowledge that death is coming and do nothing with it. That's what these Pharisees are doing. I can acknowledge it. Jesus is telling them, but what will you do with it? What does this mean for you? Their response is not, Lord, tell us more. Their response is, now we know you have a devil. You know what to accuse a person of having a devil was, basically? It's telling them, you're insane. It would be like the Pharisees saying, you are insane. When a person was possessed with a devil, they would act outside of their head. They would act outside of what was normal. Abraham and all the prophets are dead, the Pharisees say. What they're asking Jesus Are you greater than Abraham? They're they're doing this almost sarcastically. Abraham, our father, who is the, he is the religious leader. He is our father. Are you telling us, Jesus, that you are greater than Abraham? In their eyes, Jesus was not greater than Abraham. Abraham was higher than Christ according to their rationale. Now we think about this the Bible very clearly tells us that they don't understand. They don't understand spiritual life. They don't understand resurrection. And they only referred to living as life lived here in the flesh. It's hard to explain to a non-believer that this is not all. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever try to convince somebody of. Because to man living in this world living life who is a non-believer they think that this is all there is so they wrap up everything into this life and what they're doing is they're doing all they can do until their day of death comes and in their mentality it's this I'm going to live it for my glory, for my, my own enjoyment. I'm going to live every life, I'm going to live every moment of my life to the fullest until my time is done. The problem is, the most important time they need to consider is after this life. This is not the most important time to consider. It's a point when a man wants to die, then the judgment. That's what the Bible says. That judgment time has already been appointed. That judgment is already written down. Christ is speaking to them and there is no desire for understanding. Verse number 54, Jesus answers their statements by saying this. Jesus answered, remember, this is a direct response to whom makest thou thyself. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't deal with the first question about our father Abraham, which is dead, are you greater than him? He deals with the second aspect of verse number 53 when he says, when they say, whom makest thou thyself? It's interesting, Jesus doesn't deal with all of their questions, but he deals with the one that mattered. If I honor myself, look what he says, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. In reply to the question in verse 53, who makest thou thyself? Jesus says, if I just honor myself, if the only honor I get is the honor I give to myself, it's worthless. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, saying, if honor only comes from me, it's worthless in vain. If Jesus is just to say, I honor myself, and there's no other honor matters, then Jesus says, that honor is worthless. Instead, he says this, it is my Father that honoreth me. See, they acknowledged the Father. They acknowledged God. And when, when, you're, when they're talking to the Pharisees, they were not talking about a different God. The Pharisees and Jesus were referring to the same God. And as Jesus has done so many times, he's telling them, if you knew me, you would know my Father. The Father honored him how? Well, we know biblically the Father honored Christ at his birth by the angels. We know that Christ, uh, the Father honored him at his birth by the angels and by the star. We know that Christ was honored by his Father at his baptism when the voice of heaven came down and said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father honored the Son by the works and the miracles in which Jesus did through him. The greatest demonstration that God honored the Son, other than the Son was what? The The resurrection. The greatest honor God the Father shown to the Son was in His resurrection. Now you say, preacher, here's the problem. He hasn't risen from the grave yet because He's not gone to the cross yet in John chapter number 8. He's speaking of that which is to come. He's speaking of His own death. The greatest honor that God the Father ever showed to the Son was by raising Him from the grave and exalting Him to the right hand where Jesus Christ lives today. The reason that God honored the son was for his own glory how long will god the father honor the son if your theology teaches you that god the father only honored the son at the cross and he only honored the son as long as he was on this earth or as long as this earth exists you would be wrong the honor that the father has for the son is an eternal honor in other words, how God the Father honors the Son today, he will honor him that way for all of eternity. There will never be a time when God the Father honors the Son less. There will never be a time when God the Father honors the Son more. He couldn't possibly honor him any more or any less. I love what the book of Revelation chapter number 5 says, and this kind of shows us the, the eternal honor. Revelation chapter number 5 and uh, let's, let's go ahead and look at verse number uh, nine of that chapter, if you're turning there. Revelation five, verse number nine. This is the account of the lamb, which is Jesus, that lamb that was slain for the foundation of the world appearing before here at heaven's throne. You'll notice that it is Jesus who is seated upon the throne, which means he's the only one who is worthy to carry out God's decree or to execute, or to, uh, to uh, execute God's decree rather, And it's all about who is seated there. Verse number 9 of Revelation 5, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever and the four beasts said amen and the 4 and 20 elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever all creation including those seated this throne of god will worship christ And honor Christ because he's worthy. Folks, Jesus Christ is worthy of all honor. Jesus Christ is worthy of all of your praise today. Christ is receiving the worship right alongside of the Father. We understand that this declares very clearly that Christ is God. He has always been God. He will always be God. He is to be honored even God the Father honors the Son. Revelation 19.10 says, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The servants of God must worship God alone. The problem with these Pharisees is that they refuse to honor the Son. They refused to acknowledge God the Father's honor that was placed upon the Son. But number three, what we see here in verses 54 through 55, he says in verse 55 back in our text of John 8, yet ye have not known him. The him is a reference to the Father, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you but I know him and keep his saying. Jesus denies his own honor without the honor of the Father toward him. Jesus Christ himself is to be honored. The one who honored Christ, they knew him not. He's basically telling this Pharisees, you don't even know the Father in which you speak of. The Father who honored me, you do not know him. Because if you knew him, then you would honor me. Verse 55 clearly shows us that, that despite the fact they claim to be the children of God, God's telling them you're not his children because if you're his children, you would acknowledge me and honor me. That's why it's not enough for you to claim this simple belief. I believe there's a God. That is not saving faith. Even the devils believe there is a God. God. Even the devils acknowledge that Christ existed, but they would not believe on him. Sadly, we have watered it down to where we simply think, as long as I believe there's a God, that's all I need to have. James 2.19 says, even the demons believe there is a God and they tremble. It signifies spiritual understanding. Jesus is telling them in verse 55, you lack spiritual understanding because if you knew me, you would know the Father. And if you know the Father, then you would know me. Those who know the Father will have an affection and an approval and obedience to the Son. It's a sad day when someone says, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, but I have no desire to follow him. I have no desire to honor him. But in 1 John 5, verse number 20, here's what it says. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Folks, remember this. Jesus Christ is not only the revealer of God, but he is the true God. And he is eternal life. There is no eternal life with Christ apart from Christ. Heaven is not your home apart from Christ. Christ denies his own honor without the honor of the Father. Verse 56, back in our text, John 8. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. I mentioned this during the 10 o'clock hour about those who believe that the Old Testament saint had no idea about Jesus. Then why did Jesus say, John 8, 56, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad? Do you think Abraham just had a, just a generalized view of a Messiah? Or do you think that Jesus is saying Abraham could see me coming? That was Abraham's faith. The Old Testament saint had to have faith. The Old Testament saint didn't just believe in a nebulous idea of God. The Old Testament saint was saved by faith. They were saved, they were justified by by faith. Jesus is not introducing a new thing, He's not introducing a new subject. Jesus Himself is proclaiming that their father Abraham rejoiced in the promised coming of Christ. His reason for coming would be to save sinners by his death. It's a profound statement that to, be, to receive eternal life is to be saved by his death. Death of Christ bred life. Without the death of Christ, there is no life. Had Jesus Christ not died upon that cross, there would be no eternal life. What Jesus is saying here in John eight fifty six. He's telling them, you glory in Abraham. You claim him as your father. But Abraham saw me coming. Abraham saw me not just vaguely. He saw me coming. He saw a picture of my death. He saw a preaching of the gospel to all nations. How did he see it? He didn't have a copy of the word of God. Abraham saw by divine revelation. He saw it through an eye of faith. We often say, there's no way that the Old Testament saint could have believed in the same Christ that would come because they didn't have a completed copy of the Word of God. Divine revelation is all through the Old Testament. God spoke to those individuals, and they, Abraham saw it. Abraham believed it. Abraham rejoiced in it. and I like the phrase, he was glad. Such a simple phrase. You know, you think about such, something, such a large theological thought, and it says about Abraham, he saw it and was glad. Now, I don't know about you, but you, you, know, you think theologically, you, you think about big words. You know, we talk about, you know, I, use, I use big words around here. Justification, sanctification, glorification, election, providence, foreknowledge. And here's the very simple, he tells them, your father Abraham saw and was glad. That's about as simple as it gets. Abraham saw this Jesus. I, I love what we, we covered this months ago now or weeks ago now in Romans 4.17. There was a statement uh, made by the Apostle Paul regarding Abraham, Romans 4.17. And actually all of the rest of chapter number four deals with what Abraham saw, what Abraham believed. Here's what it says. Romans 4, beginning in verse number 17. As it is written... I have made thee a father of many nations before him who he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he, that's Abraham, might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall, they, so shall thy seed be. And be not weak in faith. This is speaking of Abraham. He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. What that tells us about Abraham is against hope. And in the face of circumstances that would tell him that I should not be confident. He believed in hope. He trusted in God. He trusted in the omnipotence of God. He didn't doubt God's word or his ability to fulfill it. And here's what it says about Abraham. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if... We believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Just as Abraham believed that God would save him if he believed in his promises. Promises about what? About Christ's death and his resurrection. Through the complete work of atonement, Jesus Christ forgives and declares righteous. To all who will believe they would were quick to glory in Abraham, but yet they did not know him. Abraham, as the patriarch, and they would acknowledge who he was, believed in the promise that Christ would come to save the world by his death. One of the greatest pictures of that is found in genesis twenty two. If you know your Bible, you know the story before you turn there genesis twenty two, the story of Jesus, or uh, the story of Abraham being told by the Lord to take his son, his only son Isaac. And Abraham, by faith, takes Isaac, prepares the altar, does all that he's commanded to do, and again, I don't want to personalize this so much. that so we say, as a father, uh, would you take your own son? This is a picture here. This is more than just an object lesson. Uh, this is a picture of Jesus Christ, who would come and would fulfill this very act in which Abraham was performing by faith. In verse number eight of that chapter, again, we're not doing this. We're not reading all this. So Genesis twenty-two eight, and Abraham said, "My son." God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Literally that phrase, God will provide, literally means God will see. Abraham had trusted that the Lord would certainly deliver and bring the offering. Yet at the moment, all he saw was that God has told Abraham, take your only son and sacrifice him. You drop down to verse number 14, and the Bible says, and Abraham, let's go back to verse number uh, 12. And he said, Lay not thine hand, this is the Lord speaking, upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. That substitute... Was provided, the ram that was in a thicket. Abraham said, Call this place, we'll call this place Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. Isaac, we know, would be ultimately the father of the people of God, but as a fallen sinner, even Isaac deserved to die. God provided a ram as a substitute to die in the place of the sinner, Isaac. You see, He needed a substitute. The substitute was that ram that was caught in the thicket. Jesus Christ died as your substitute, He took your place. Do you realize, apart from Christ, even if you were to die as a sacrifice, it would have no atoning value? You cannot atone for that which you are guilty of, you cannot atone for your own sin. You could not be your own sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice, and Abraham saw Christ's day. He rejoiced in it and was glad. Now make no mistake, he wasn't glad about what Jesus would experience. But he certainly was rejoicing in the fact that Jesus Christ would provide a substitute. And then one more text over in Galatians chapter number three that's dealing with this subject here. I think it's so important. Galatians 3, verse number 8. Again, this kind of does away with those who say the gospel did not exist or was not preached to Abraham. This is the, this is the great proof text of this. Galatians 3, verse number 8, or verse number 7. Let's start there. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith. The same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, And to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. There is one seed. There is one substitute. There is one who died, and it is Christ. These Pharisees were claiming we are the seeds of Abraham. The seed of Abraham, in the physical sense, was was not justifying to them. Abraham saw Christ's day by faith. He saw Christ's day in type. He saw Christ's day in special revelation. He believed God. By the way, what a testimony. He believed God. To believe God, the God of the Bible, is to believe everything about him, not parts of it. There are churches today you could go to who say they believe God, but only parts of him. They say we proclaim God here, but they deny Christ. To deny Christ is to deny God, and you are dealing with a false church. That is not a church. A church that denies Christ is not Christian, if you want to use that terminology. It's not a believing church. You cannot deny the Son and have salvation. You can't honor the Father and deny the Son. To honor the Son is to honor the Father. To honor the Father is to honor the Son. So that brings us to where we began. Jesus has said nothing offensive except to the unbelieving mind. He has said nothing false, He has not uttered a single lie. He has simply told the truth. And then here's what they say in verse 57. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? They're still thinking physically, still thinking in time. They say, Jesus, you're not even 50. How did you see Abraham? Again, seeing with spiritual eyes is much different than seeing with physical eyes. Jesus doesn't answer that question other than saying this. Before Abraham was, I am. You see, our Lord speaks of an eternal existence. Christ is the everlasting I am. Christ is the eternal God, which is, which was, and which is to come. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This final point, Jesus declares he is eternal and his name is Jehovah, which means I am Jehovah, all-powerful God, self-existent one. Jesus was not saying I'm going to become something different. I already am. I am the same God who existed before the foundation of the world, Literally, before Abraham was, some 2,000 years before Christ came, Jesus says, I am, instead of I was. To suggest I was is to suggest a limited time. Remember, we started off by saying the difference between was and I am. One is brought into existence. One has always existed. When Jesus said, whether I've seen Abraham or not, it's irrelevant. Of course I saw Abraham. I've, I've longed before him. And instead of responding in faith, this name, Jehovah, they take up stones to stone him. I like what the Bible says here. It says they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself. Now, by the way, he didn't hide himself because he couldn't take care of himself. He hid himself because his hour had not yet come. We know that scripturally because we know the Bible. He went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. They could not have taken Jesus that day even if they wanted to. They wanted to, they wanted to stone him. They wanted him dead. They thought if they killed this man who claimed to be God, their problems would be over. Now let's understand something as we close. The Jews believed Jesus' claim to be God. They just didn't receive it. In other words, nobody in that day and age would have said, we don't believe Jesus is claiming to be God. They would have said on the contrary, yes, we acknowledge Jesus is claiming to be God. The problem is he's not. They proved that by trying to stone him. Would someone really try to stone and kill the son of God? Would a believer truly try to kill the son of God? Or would it be wicked hands that would lift him up? Jesus Christ was lifted up to the cross by wicked hands. Wicked hands that were foreordained for before the foundation of the world at the very pointed hour, the very time, the very place that Jesus would go to that cross. It's not enough for you to say today that Jesus Christ was a good man who left a good example. Any church that preaches that that says, just follow the example of Christ and be a good man and you'll inherit eternal life lies to you. There are plenty of good men in hell today. There are plenty of good men living what appears to be moral lives even in our society. There are very charitable men who do not know Christ and they may say that very thing Yeah, I know that Christ lived. I believe that there was a man named Jesus. The history books even tell me that. But he was just a man. That's as much as saying, I don't believe you're God, because that's what your conclusion would be. If Jesus was not the Son of God, let's let's put this in basic terminologies. If Jesus was not the Son of God, then he wasn't a good man either, because that made him a liar. Right? How many of you think a good man is a liar? Now, I don't know anybody who says a lying man is a good man. He says the opposite. He says that's an evil man. So how could you say Jesus is a good man, but denies the Son of God? You couldn't. Those two can't exist. No good man also would have left and done what he did to his followers. No good man would have told his followers, don't worry, I go away, but I, I'll come back again. No good man would do that. The impression he left on his enemies, even the Pharisees, was that he claimed to be God. He couldn't be a good man because he's claiming to be God and no good man can claim to be something that he's not. Folks, today you've got to make a decision. You either have to rate Jesus as the greatest liar and imposter of all time or you have to rate Him the Son of God. You're only, you only have two choices. He's either who He said He is or He's the greatest liar. He cannot be a good man and not be the Son of God. So if you believe this, I believe Jesus was a good man, but not the Son of God. Those two can't exist. Because if he's not the Son of God, he's the greatest liar that's ever lived. And no liar is a good man. Choose which one he is. You can't stop halfway between and say, well, I'm just unsure. He either is, I am, God, Son of God, the Christ, or he's not. There's no room just to rate him as a good man. The only place you can find is he is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. Let's stand together if you